This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Newt's World Podcast listeners. Lisa Booth here. I'm part of the Gingrich 360 Podcast Network. Newt is out this week finishing his new book, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. So he asked me to take this opportunity to fill in for him by introducing one of my most recent podcast episodes for my podcast, The Truth with Lisa Booth. New episodes of The Truth with Lisa Booth come out every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's The Truth with Lisa Booth, an episode I did with the Academy Award-winning actor, John Voight. I hope you love it. And check out Newt's new book, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. It's available right now for pre-order on Amazon. America is losing its way, not because of the people who just want what's best for their country. They just want what's best for their families, but because of the radical leftists overtaking our culture and the cowardly elites wielding too much power that are trying to drive this country apart. Simply put, America needs to recover its values, recover a traditional way of life. This is The Truth with Lisa Booth. Welcome back to The Truth with Lisa Booth. I've got a tremendous show for you guys this week. I am so, so excited about it because my guest is the one and only John Voight. Academy Award winning actor, all around amazing guy, great patriot as well. He's been an outspoken conservative, unafraid to buck the far left Hollywood establishment. He's a wonderful storyteller. He's always entertaining, always insightful. And today I ask him about his upbringing, his career, how he got into acting, and of course, the state of our country. With that, I want to welcome the great John Voight 
to the truth with Lisa Booth. Mr. Boyd, it is my honor. It is my pleasure to speak with you. Well, Lisa, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. I've been impressed with you, you know, uh, down through the years, even saw you on the set and, and uh, you know, expressed my appreciation of what you do. And, and it's, it's good to talk to you. Thank you. And just so for everyone to know, so I met Mr. Boy on set when I was uh, guest co-hosting on Fox and Friends, and you were so kind and so humble and just exceptionally kind. That was something that really stood out to me after meeting you, just how nice you were to everyone and including myself. Oh, this not that? Well, that, that, good for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good for me too. Me too. <laughs> it's much, it's much better than the alternative, right? <laughs> you bet. You bet. Listen, it was not nice to be on uh, the Fox channel when I am and uh, I, I pay attention to it and I've watched your you know, work over the uh, years now, a couple of years, and you're just terrific. So it's always nice to see your face and your presence on the various shows that you do. Well, thank you, sir. That's a huge honor and huge compliment coming from you. So I really appreciate it. You know, and sir, I think sometimes, I mean, look, you're a huge Hollywood star. You have had an incredibly long career, an incredibly successful career. And so I think sometimes when someone has been out in the public so so long, they kind of forget, you know, who is John Voight? Like, what was your what was your childhood like growing up? Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. I will. I was just going to say, you know, it, it, life is very short. People say that all the time to, to the little kids. And the little kids are thinking, oh, my God, it's going to be so long before I get to be 18. Or, you know, they, they're so, they want so much to, to advance and grow and all of that. And life is very short. And a career is very short. And at one point, somebody asked me, some young lady asked me, who was Cary Grant? And I, I couldn't believe that I was listening to this because in my lifetime, he was, uh, you know, such a s splendid part of our lives watching his great movies. And I couldn't believe that, that kids didn't know him, you know. And I'm like that now. I'm getting older. And so the new ones are coming forth. And, and, uh, uh, and it's 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 just interesting to to look back on different things. Anyway, I, I I've forgotten the question. <laughs> no, what was your childhood like growing up? You know, what what were your parents like? Yeah. So what my childhood? I grew up in Yonkers, uh, Yonkers, New York, and I had uh, two brothers. We were we were a threesome. We were only a year apart, and I was in the middle. And. Uh, from the earliest time, we, you know, I, we were all a rambunctious, very active three kids, and uh, my and each one of us went our different ways. My my younger brother became um, enamored of music, and uh, and went on to be a singer songwriter, and he wrote Wild Thing and Angel of the Morning and many many great hits, and he's still writing today, and he's he's a wonderful he's in the you know. Uh, songwriters hall of fame and and stuff and my older brother barry uh was always when he was a young fellow was um out with his uncle who had come back from the service this was in the 40s and he would go on camping trips and stuff and he was very interested in nature and he would take photographs of of uh, the natural world and different animals and stuff and uh, and he became a, 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 a geologist and a uh and a well-known volcanologist, a volcano expert, and uh, he's he's been fated and put into a, entered a major society, you know, scientific society, a very elite society. 
and all of that. You know, so the kid, we, we each of us in our childhood gave evidence of what we wanted to be, and we were given encouragement as kids to follow, you know, whatever, uh, wherever our loves took us. And I, as a kid, was very playful. I was kind of the glue in the family in a certain sense for the children because I I kind of negotiate between my two brothers who were both very fierce energies. And uh, uh, and we had a lot of fun. And I, I was playful and I would make up games to play. And I would, when television came along in the 50s, I started um, watching uh, a, a Saturday night show, hour and a half show called The Show of Shows, Your Show of Shows. And it starred Sid Caesar and Imogen Coca and, and Carl Reiner and Howard Marsh, those four. And uh, it was written, this show was very popular at that time, and it was written by Mel Brooks, uh, Woody Allen, uh, Neil Simon, all of the great comedy writers. Uh, were part of that show. And so I had a very, I didn't know it at the time, but I was being influenced by really brilliant people uh, in the entertainment world. And I used to imitate this fellow Sid Caesar a lot from, for the uh, entertainment of my classmates. And, uh, and, and that became, as I look back, I said, wait a minute, I think I, I probably got more out of that than I did in all the other years. I, I certainly learned from many, many people on the way up, and um, but but that uh, initial signature was uh, stayed with me. So because he was a character comedy actor, right? And uh, I would, and I became a character actor. I was interested in different kinds of characters, and different accents, and different uh, uh, behaviors, and that examination into those those areas of acting. Uh, as to opposed to leading the leading man kind of actor, who I have great appreciation for, guys who are pretty much the same in every film, and uh, just know how to how to do that kind of work, and are very charismatic. And I I, I just uh, I went off into this other world of uh, character acting, and was influenced by many people growing into it, you know, and working with great people like Dustin Hoffman and others, you know. And so how did you get into it? Because, you know, acting in Hollywood is obviously an incredibly hard career to sort of get your foot in the door. How did you do it? Well, it was a long process for me. No one in my family had any connection to, to uh, you know, um, to, to acting or, you know, uh, entertainment. My dad was a golf professional and he was, uh, and I have to say, just take a word about my father was a remarkable guy. He was a, he loved golf. He was a great golf professional and he had a terrible accident when he was 18 years old uh, and he wasn't able to pursue it, it created a spinal the accident that was happening coming from a golf tournament in Chicago and and uh, the result of the injury that he had created um, calcium deposits in his spine and he wasn't able to be as flexible and he wasn't able to play play golf on the tour so he lost the great love of his life really but he became a great teacher of golf, and he and we, as his children, uh, gained uh, a father at home. He wasn't away in the golf tournaments and with the lures of all of that. He was a, a great father, and he was a great storyteller. And I don't know to this day how he became 
so such a good storyteller because he came from immigrant parents. His grand his, his father couldn't speak very good English, never did pick up the language too well, but was really really charming and funny, a good fellow. But my dad, uh, with the, with the help I think of the members of the club, uh, it was a German Jewish country club. The people couldn't get into other country clubs because they were Jewish, so they built their own club. And my dad was the beneficiary of that, and our family. And uh, and uh, I think he probably learned storytelling from those members as he was caddying when he was a very young boy. And uh, the stories he told us at bedtime for several years in our growing up were very key to to, uh, to us growing properly and to our uh, enjoyment of things and, and, and insights into things because he would always put little messages into the stories and stuff. And, and, we, and whenever he'd get into that phase of it, he'd, he'd go, well, you know, boys, you've got to, you know, know that uh, you won't be able to run as fast always and uh, you won't be able to. And, and, and so you have to, and we'd say, tell the story, Dad. get back to the story, get back to the story. We, we were very impatient. We didn't want him to tell us, but the messages hit home, I think, and uh, and because of that man, you know, a, a lot, a lot. I have to give my my father and mother great credit for for whatever good I have in in, in, in my personality today. But um, anyway, so we we grew up in in that. Uh, in that kind of an atmosphere when I was young. And I got caught, as I say, with this uh, imitating and being playful and all of that stuff. And I never thought I would go into it. Uh, I never, you know, it was a very interesting journey that I took. Uh, but at the end of my college career, my, my, my junior year of college, right before I went into my senior year of college, uh, and I was at college at Catholic University in Washington, D.C., which had a very good drama department, but I was in the art department because I thought I could get more more attention to other things. I was very active in the, in the uh, uh, let's say, the politics, but also the, just the social life of the, of the uh, university. And that was very good training for me, I must say. I, I enjoyed that, and I grew from it. But in, I kept asking people what I should do. What do you think I should do? You know, should I be a lawyer? Should I? And I thought about, you know, uh, maybe a politician, maybe a teacher. Teacher, I'd be a good teacher. Things like that. And uh, and then I was walking around campus with a book, and I looked down at one point, and I saw this book, and I, and I said, "What am I doing with this book?" And and I, of course, I knew what I was doing with the book, but it was a book of criticisms of, of stage work in the golden age of the British theater with Lawrence Olivier and Ralph Richardson and John Gielgud and all, those fellows. And it was by Kenneth Tynan, the leading critic at that time. And he was very, he gave very elaborate descriptions of the different performances and, and their effects. And I underlined and made notes on all of Lawrence Olivier's performances. The rest of it I wasn't so interested in, but in his performances, I saw something about how he approached the character that he was playing and how he, his choices in, in, in building a character made a difference in the impact of the, of the play. I somehow understood that. Maybe I got it from my, you know, my father and the way he told stories because, because I ingested all of that. 
uh, understanding. And, uh, and then maybe just there was a talent there for me. I saw something. I saw how you affect a story. So you, so you grab the attention of the people and you move them, this kind of thing. And, and, and once, and I looked at that and I said, Actually, I think I even verbally said this out loud. I was alone on campus looking at this book, and I said, I know what I want to do. I want to be him. And I pointed to, you know, something of Olivier's, you know. So that's that. And and once I, that moment, that epiphany that happened right there, that was it. I knew I was going to graduate after this senior year. And I was going to go on to New York and I was going to study. And I knew in my mind at that time, these are the things that I remember very vividly, you know. I said, I, and I know I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a success. In other words, I knew it was going to be challenging. I knew I was going to go up and down, but I knew I would, I knew I'd stick with it. And I knew it'd be okay. But nobody else did. Certainly your parents don't when you're going, going towards such a shaky career. You know, you don't, you don't know if your, your child is going to be able to make a living. Sir, just one moment. We have to take a quick break and then we'll get right back to it. The notion that police are racist who kill black Americans disproportionately is a lie. A mirage, an optical illusion not supported by any of the facts. It's a false narrative. This week on The Truth with Lisa Booth, I cut through the noise to get to the truth about race and policing in America with Heather McDonald a fellow at the Manhattan Institute and the author of the New York Times bestseller, The War on Cops. We get to the bottom of this anti-police narrative and the impact it's having on our country. You don't want to miss this episode. And make sure you listen to The Truth with Lisa Booth every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, you hear about the Hollywood industry. I mean, you're out at castings. It's really, it's hard to get in the door. And you, you read stories about people getting How their start. I know that, but, you, but that's exactly Well, I, I have, fam- I have, fam- I have family in the industry, but I, I've also... Uh, you know, you like I, you read about different people's stories, like Sylvester Stallone's stories always stood out to me as well, and sort of his hustle and getting, uh, you know, Rocky started. But you, know, how did you persevere? Like, what, what, what was that? Just trying to get your foot, your feet in the door. What was that like for you? Of just trying to get that that first gig, that 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 first opportunity, that first ability to show what you had to offer. What was that like for you? Well, you don't you. When you start out, you certainly don't have a lot of experience to tell you who you are and what you do. Do you see? So you have to gain some experience, and you have to. And and I I looked for a teacher right away in New York. Got a little apartment in New York with two other guys. Thankfully, they were almost never there, so I had the place to myself. It was a little bare apartment, and there was a great Greek restaurant, a cafeteria downstairs which was very reasonable and kept me alive. And, uh, but I, I tried to go to, I went to classes. I talked to actors. I, I took an you know, opportunity to try out for everything, all of that stuff, right? Didn't have much success in the beginning. And uh, long periods of drought. And if I finally got, a, I, I got a, an acting coach and he wasn't good. I turned out to be very bad. I wasn't. I wasn't learning anything. I was actually going backward. And then finally I got a teacher who was a, one of the one of the great teachers of that time, Sanford Meisner. Uh, Sanford Meisner and Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg were, were the three great teachers of that time that uh, that you were fortunate enough to that you were fortunate if you had any contact with. 
And uh, so I, I learned a basic kind of basic for the for the craft. And of course, I had I had something in me that was an I knew about entertainment. I could entertain people. I did have abilities that I knew, but how they applied in the real world, I didn't know. So so I worked very hard. And then when I got through that, and I had a little jobs too. Always, I got a little job, and I got a little job on Broadway actually, uh, with uh, very early on playing the uh, the telegraph boy in Sound of Music, Ralph, the uh, the fellow who turns the family in, and uh, and uh, the uh, and anyway, so I had some success. I knew that I knew I had something. And that kept me going. Uh, and then finally, after I finished a couple of years with Mr. Meisner, I was looking to get a, a job uh, that would show off these talents that I had. And I finally got a view from the bridge, which is uh, an Arthur Miller play. It was the first production of the long, the, the long version of that play. And it's a very great play, I have to say. And, uh, and I was, and I got that role, and I worked with Robert Duvall, Bobby Duvall, and uh, and it just happened that Bobby Duvall was good friends with Dustin Hoffman, and uh, and was asked, and, and Dusty was also connected to this director Ulla Grossbart, and he showed up to help out with the with the directing of the piece, so I met Dustin Hoffman, or, you know, in that in that uh, time, and he saw me do some very good work. That was the first time that I realized that I had uh, achieved something in the classwork and that I had found some ground, you know, and it was like, it, it was like a, a base to fly from in a way. I, I experienced a lot of, a lot of things in that particular time period where I learned about myself. I was very entertaining in the character. I think I was, uh, and I was very moving and powerful as well. So it was a great role and a role that was fit to me. And uh, I, I made a mark. And therefore, I had, uh, you know, a step up now. People were going to be looking at me, and, and that's what happened. And you've been in a ton of successful films, you know, starting with, you know, Midnight Cowboy. That was a big break for you to even more recently winning a Golden Globe for the television series Ray Donovan. Why do you think you've been able to have such a long and sustained career when so many haven't been able to do that? First of all, uh, good fortune. I think, you know, I was lucky. But also, uh, there's a little bit of a mystery to me. And it's a spiritual aspect. Uh, the, uh, I, I, I was in bad behavior, as I look back. And things happened to me where I changed my perspective on things. And I was lifted from that. I was able to get it get away from that. And I became very connected, although I, I grew up a, a Catholic. And uh, when I hit New York, I kind of lost that, you know, I kind of left that behind and got in trouble with it, you know, got away from this understanding of God and, and uh, the, uh, and, and the rules of life and stuff. And, and even the examples of my parents who were admirable people, I, I, I lost my way a little bit. And then I came back around, and because of that, uh, I I turned into a uh, you know a, a person who was devoted to God and uh, did a lot of meditation, and I was able to uh, change, 
And in that change, many things happened. It was quite, I have some stories to tell about the mysteries of that. But uh, I would I would say that's the mark that kept me going, uh, you know, giving me a lift when I was very down. I said prayers and uh, and the prayers were answered in many ways. So so I, I say there's a spiritual aspect. And you talk about God a lot. And, you know, right now in the country, we're, we're seeing a decline in religious affiliation over the past few years. Do you think that's why we're having so many problems as a country right now? Well, I would say yes. I would say yes. I would say uh, we've lost our moorings, you know. Uh, the stuff that they're feeding our children right now is very disturbing. Uh, you know, uh, there used to be, a, a, I remember there's a book, Everything That You Need to Know You Were Learned in Kindergarten, you know. And that was a good book because it showed you how much morality and, and, and real basics for life were taught in kindergarten. The... Uh, taking responsibility for yourself and all sorts of things. And we've gotten, and now the children are being given poison uh, from all of these uh, woke teachings, I have to say. And uh, we've let our guard slip and we have to re recapture that ground. Otherwise we're, we're, um, we're a doomed society. And, uh, and I feel that we're starting to understand that too. And that's why I, you know, the the last video that I that I released was very strong, and I have helped to the, get these videos done, you know, to do these videos. But um, I, I, I perhaps I'd read it to you, and we can talk about it. Yeah. What? what, what yeah. Think? Yeah. If you or you know what what concerns you right now the most in taking a look at the country, I, you know, you're you're talking about. I, I watch the videos that you do. I, I know that you you tweet them out as well, sir. Um, and you're a very vocal conservative. What taking a look at where we are right now as a nation? What concerns you the most? What concerns me the most is that we we've, we've lost our moorings and and we're we're being overtaken by really. Um, uh, it's it's a it's an evil that is trying to overtake this country and all the greatness of this country. Why is it that people want to come to this country? Why is it that people are breaking down, you know, our borders to get to us? And and why is it that the people who are most concerned about us are people from who have lived under this uh, this tyranny? Of, uh, of of socialism, communism, you know, across the world. People from Poland, people from Russia, people from Cuba. Uh, we're turning into a Venezuela, and they see it. They they can see it clearly because it happened to them. They went through all of this this horror and sadness and lost their countries. And they see the same thing happen to the United States. And this was the place that they came to. Because they 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 needed to to say to get to a safe shore, they needed to get to freedom. They needed to get to opportunity. And and now they see that this country too is is falling uh, under uh, under this evil influence, and uh, and so that's that's my concern at this time. I think we all have to be very very concerned, and uh, and therefore I. Uh, I do everything I can 
because I've gone through a lot of this myself from the 60s, and I see how it's happened. And I know that uh, that people must be courageous and learned and fight this battle for our future generations. We have to st- we, we have to stand up here. This is it. That's such an interesting point, Mr. Voigt. Hold that thought right there. We have to take a break. The notion that police are racist who kill black Americans disproportionately is a lie. A mirage, an optical illusion not supported by any of the facts. It's a false narrative. This week on The Truth with Lisa Booth, I cut through the noise to get to the truth about race and policing in America with Heather McDonald, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute and the author of the New York Times bestseller, The War on Cops. We get to the bottom of this anti-police narrative and the impact it's having on our country. You don't want to miss this episode. And make sure you listen to The Truth with Lisa Booth every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I just, I have a fundamental respect for people that go their own way. You know, it's it's so easy to follow the crowd. It's so easy to follow a group. It's much harder to stand alone in your convictions and in your strength and what you believe. And that is what you do. You're exceptionally brave, particularly in an industry that doesn't really care for, you know, different diversity and ideology. How, how has it been like for you as a conservative in an industry that typically seems to all be on you know one side of the aisle? Has that been hard? It's going to be difficult. It's costing you work, of course. Uh, because people will w- are afraid to, uh, um, to the people who would would have common sense are afraid to be exposed for having common sense. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's really nuts. So uh, the, I'm kind of a I'm a person that. Uh, Everyone, thank God that I've had some success in my life so that I can, people know that when they hire me, I'm going to give a good uh, representation of the work and, and, and maybe make their piece more successful and uh, all of that. But uh, people are, are, are afraid to be exposed uh, at this time for uh, questioning this, uh, this, I think this this uh, bad, this bad behavior that's going on all over the place, but um, uh, it's it, it's interesting. It's a battle. It's a battle, and 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 it's in this industry. You see, initially the KGB targeted the United States, and and Khrushchev said, you know, we won't uh, we'll overcome you, but we won't do it with guns. You know, we'll just. Uh, You'll vote vote us into office. That's what he said, you know, uh, and that's pretty much what's happened. I mean, they know what they were, they're doing. They targeted they targeted uh, the film industry because of its influence. They targeted schools, uh, and because we are in a country of freedom, freedom of speech, they used it for their as a tool for themselves. They took advantage of it. And we were we didn't see it coming. So there's, there's an awful lot to be said about this, of course. And they're better. They're smarter people than I do. Well, and I work in the media, sir. And, you know, I see, you know, fortunately, I work for a network that really tries to get both sides of the aisle. When you look at other networks that do not like CNN and MSNBC. But I see how, you know, a lot of the mainstream media really pushes the left's propaganda 
What role do you think Hollywood plays in that as well? Well, I think it's a very big surprise that the media can be so uh, so captured, so overtaken. How could this be? Don't journalists have any sense of pride even, you know? Don't they? Uh, but, you know, they're, they're low on the totem pole, so they... They keep their mouths shut and they just do their jobs. You see, they they repeat the party line. This is just like Russia. I mean, this is just like Pravda. There's no different. You read the New York Times, you're getting phony stuff. So, so what is what is a what does a guy do who he wants to feed his family and he needs to keep his job? It's those pressures that that keep it going. I think. So, uh, who's going to? Uh, to stop this. Well, there are many brave people that are stepping up and great brave teachers who are in our, the industry, the entertainment industry and in the, you know, in the news industry that are stepping up and giving us a direction. So we have to find those people and, and stick with them and support them. What was it about conservatism? You know, when did you become a conservative and, and what convinced you? you? You talked about your journey with religion. What was your journey like in politics? My journey in politics was that I was uh, susceptible to being uh, in the 60s. I was just learning to you know, going to school to learn to act, wanting to be one of those actors that works all the time, you know, needing to have success. And uh, trying to find roles, trying to find all of this stuff. And I was available to all of the, um, the politics of that time, which was uh, anarchism took place in the streets of the United States. You know, there was a, a lot of things going on. And I, when I look back, I say, well, what happened was really, really from the trauma of losing John Kennedy. I was a big supporter of Kenny Hart. I mean, it was I was uh, infatuated with Kennedy. He was very, uh, he seemed like the answer to many things. He was very idealistic and he had a, a, this nice way about him. And, and I believed in it. And then, and, 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 the, and the country did too. And suddenly he was murdered. And I think everyone was, I think everyone was hurt by that when we talk about trauma, I think everybody knew where they were when they heard that news. I think uh, the fact is that nobody really could figure out what exactly happened to this day. And, uh, and after that, things became, uh, we had no leadership in the top. That's what I felt. Uh, not leadership we believed in. And, uh, that, that's my personal, everyone knows where they were at the time they heard that news. And, and so I would say that was a big blow. And in moved all of this leftism, some from, uh, from the people in the streets who were just uh, advocating free love and this and, you know, uh, all that stuff. But that was also planted by, by very clever people from the left, which means the communists. Uh, and uh, the Russian KGB, uh, the, um, the German group, the Frankfurt School came in. Uh, they were on the left. And so all of these distortions that took place were manipulated. And that was the beginning. Now, um, since that time, 
we we had one break where we had uh, President Reagan, and uh, things were more clear and different and better. But it, it it didn't last very long, and we took our eye, especially when the Soviet Union collapsed. We felt we had no you know no enemies anymore, and we took our eye off the ball. And that's when they moved in. That's when the forces that they had started in the 60s moved into our schools, our education. So they had been moving into the education system and uh, and took over our industry and and uh, and took over the media. So uh, and we can you, you, you can chart that out and see the, the heroes and villains in that process. But uh, that's that's where we are now. We're really facing a, a takeover. Well, there's just such censorship. I mean, you talked about tyranny earlier. I mean, we look at the fact that the president, the former president of the United States was banned from social media. We have big tech actively taking a role in silencing or suppressing information. I mean, even today, if you try questioning the 2020 election, despite the fact that Democrats lied about the 2016 election for years, if you try questioning an election where we had an unprecedented amount of mail-in ballots in the middle of a pandemic, uh, you know, you get meted as some sort of conspiracy theorist. Why do you think that is? Why why can't we question the results of the 2020 election? Well, this has been uh, w- watching Donald Trump has been very interesting because Donald, who is Donald Trump? Donald Trump is a fellow who is very, very successful, uh, has many gifts, obvious gifts prior to becoming president. Right. Uh Certainly got to work with, uh, you know, many different aspects of our society to put up the beautiful buildings that he has, you know, gotten accomplished. It's changed the skyline of, the, of uh, you know, New York City and, and the world, really. Many, many different buildings across the world. So, and he's used to working with uh, all sorts of different things, you know. Uh, in order to get permissions, to, you have to work with uh, the... Uh, different city councils and all sorts of stuff and, and architects and people building materials. You have to budget stuff. And he has, he has a tremendous arsenal of, of talents that he's, uh, that he's been, you know, culling over the years. And, uh, and then he becomes president of the United States. Now he becomes president of the United States and, and people didn't know where he was going to go. If you remember, they they didn't know whether he was going to be uh, conservative or whether he was too much on the left because he'd been, you know, he's been uh, friends with Hillary Clinton, for, you know, put money into this and that. And then all of a sudden he starts. Uh, but the, but somebody knew because before he was ele- before he was actually sworn in, they said they're going to impeach him, didn't they? The, the 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 left and the Democrat Party knew he was dangerous to them. Because why? Why? He hadn't done anything yet. Part of it was because he didn't have any respect for the swamp. The uh, you know the way things go. He wasn't. Uh, you couldn't uh, uh, corrupt him. You couldn't buy him. Oh wow, that's that stuff. You see. But did they, how did they see the power that he was? And uh, it's very interesting. They, they were they were went after him with everything they had right from the beginning, 
And he was very friendly to mo- many of these people who were in leadership in, in the Democrat Party. So something's way off, you see. They knew somehow that he was going to be dangerous to them. And in fact, he was because he's a, because he's a, a good, God-fearing man who has a great talent for leadership. And he was going to go in and he said, I'm going to clean this up a little bit. <laughs> and he did. Everything he said, he did. And perhaps it was the promises he made as he grew toward uh, the election that he said he was going to do this, uh, close, you know, close, uh, put the wall at the border, uh, take, uh, you know, take on the challenge of, uh, of China, d- do all, re- redo the trade, all of these things that he said he was going to do, he actually did. The most amazing thing, because no one in, in, has ever done so much uh, in such a short period of time, and and when you think that he was attacked every day that he was in office, it's unbelievable. But what do you think happened? Because you, you've said before, um, you know, you're disgusted with the lie that Biden has been chosen as if we all don't know the truth. What do you think the truth is about the 2020 election? Oh, well, I mean, you, I think you said it. I mean, there's so much evidence that it was uh, it was a stolen election. I, I take this back to the moment when Soros realized that Trump had been elected by the American people. And he said, this is a disaster. And he meant it. And Soros is a very interesting character. And he represents all of the stuff that's going on. Uh, He's he's anti-Trump in every way. And he was not, and he uses all his billions to infiltrate into the, uh, the schools with all his foundations and all his, uh, his uh, organizations, all misnomered, by the way, because they all represent themselves as being patriotic and they're not like, like uh, looking at the Constitution. And then it really is an attack on the Constitution. And that's given to the ch- you know, kids in colleges. I mean, he's really a, a supporter of everything anti-American. So... Uh, so anyway, that, when he said that, it was like saying, okay, he threw down the gauntlet, he's, gonna, he's never going to let this happen again. And it, it was he and the Democrat leadership and all of the people on the left um, who gathered together to stop this man and uh, to make sure that this next election would not repeat itself. And, of course, they had a big problem because Donald Trump gave us the, the best economy we've ever had. And he was doing all, all sorts of things, uh, you know, that we dreamed would be accomplished that needed so badly to be done. We were seeing, the, the, you know, the, the country go downhill. And all of a sudden, this man come, comes up and has insights in almost every area of the problem and corrects it as he goes. Well, some quite something. And, uh, and they were going to, but they were going to bring him down. So they gathered every force they could and tried every deceitful, you know, uh, method to attack him and slander him. And they still couldn't do it until COVID. And so you have to question that too. 
But then coming down to the election, they weren't going to do. They weren't going to let this happen. They just weren't going to let, let it happen. So that you get all of these things about, uh, you know, re- just uh, weakening all the uh, the ability for people to, to to make a proper vote and be properly counted. And that's what they did all across the country. And they used every method and they encouraged every kind of bad behavior. And uh, and uh, I, I and and those blackouts. You know, those several hour blackouts in the main states, unbelievable. And it, it turned the tide. So, yeah, I think uh, I think we have to pay very close attention to it. And hopefully, uh, you know, the truth will emerge and we'll catch these people who are, uh, this is real. This is real criminal behavior of, of the highest order. Do you think President Trump should run again or, or who do you think, you know, who are you looking at as the future of the Republican Party? Well, I think we have many great people, actually. We should take heart that we have many great people in the Republican Party who have stepped up, who have gone through this, you know, you know standing, uh, standing tall. Uh, I can name, you know, dozens. And, that, and that's a that's good. Uh but right now, I'm I'm watching President Trump to see what he's going to do. Uh, I think uh, I think we have to just wait and see. There obviously are other people who can run uh, and and uh, be successful, and I think the country will show itself uh, next November uh, in a very strong way. But uh, I, 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 um, I'm watching President Trump. He still has enormous influence. People love this man for what he has done and for the way he handles himself. How much, you know, you mentioned the next election, which I, I think is probably one of the most consequential elections we've ever had in American history. Personally, I, I think it's going to determine if we become, you know, a, a communist authoritarian type nation or a nation that is still a republic that still believes believes in the foundings of our country. Uh, how much of a referendum do you think it'll be on the Biden administration? Well, of course it's going to be, um, but uh, then again, it's going to be, you're going to look to the polls to see if you have the ability. And, and, and the Biden administration is changing everything. They're doing a lot of damage on a daily basis, and they're trying to. And the Democrat Party is trying to overthrow all of the uh, constitutional uh, strengths of our country. Um, Len, can I can I just read? Let me read because a lot of people haven't seen that video. Let me read the words right now. Biden, these are, these are the words. Biden has taken all Trump's works and switched to Obama's carefully instructed instructions. This nation is in complete chaos. Let us pray for a moment. Let us bless this nation for a moment, my dear friends. My fellow Americans, Donald J. Trump was our savior. This new administration has turned us upside down with deceit and destruction. We're all in the same frame of mind, hoping, praying for God's miracle, a miracle that can cross us over like the parting of the sea. Jesus spoke. Moses spoke. Let God speak. Let God heal all our suffering souls and let President Trump feel this because he was truly following God's call 
not the swamp that destroys. I want to get to the end of it because it's very important. It's a he, President Trump, had a gift for all people, all nations. He loved this country, and he did save it until the left wing distorted all his work and turned it into the, their deceit. We, the people who have faith, we, the people that love our country, the USA, we all must focus on what is truly truths. What and who has our best interest? Be aware, my fellow Americans, the Biden administration has destroyed our nation. But my friends, God has a plan. He will show that truths will win. No man can lie, steal, or take away the one truth. And that is the power of God. The power of righteousness. The power of Abraham Lincoln's work. The note he left for his nation. That this nation under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. I really do think, uh, you know, we had talked about earlier about sort of looking at God and family, and I, I think that's part of the reason why the left tends to de-emphasize religion. They tend to de-emphasize family is because if you're rooted in these things that are deeper and more important than government, you're not looking to government. I mean, they really want a population that is completely dependent on the government, that's dependent on them, that doesn't have, you know, that aren't that aren't rooted in core convictions like family and religion, it seems. Nonsense, you know, uh, the COVID stuff. Stay in your house, do, do this, do that, wear your mask, wear three masks, do, what are you doing? They, they they spend their time with that. They don't spend their time solving anything. They have no understanding of governance. Certainly, they have no understanding of the economy. I mean, when listen, this is a long story with communism. When Lenin took over in Russia, the Bolsheviks, after four years, he killed four million people, starved more four million people to death, and ten years later. Over 5 million people were starved by Joseph Stalin. I, I was there in the, the early 90s, 1991, and I was witness to the, the misery that the people lived under. And this is what we're voting in now? We, we, we have, we've got to stop this. We've got to know that we have a, a, a great country with a tremendous uh, you know, set of principles and instructions. We have to get back to it, to our happiness. We're we're we're, in, we're suffering right now, and uh, and we have to prevail. We, the truth has to prevail now. We have to stand up. Do you think that's why? I mean, you know, Martin Luther King said that he wanted his kids to grow up in a nation that they were judged on the content of their character versus the color of their skin. But it, it seems like the left is pushing. Uh, this idea that everyone views each other from a racial prism as a, po a prism versus just looking at each other as human beings or fellow Americans. You know, why do you think we've arrived at this point of such racial division? Yeah, well, it's it's been inserted into our country because of it. all of this stuff, the gender stuff that came with the, uh, the Frankfurt School. You know, we, we've been invaded. We got to know where this came from and and, uh, you know, reveal it to folks. Uh, 
the uh, this this whole nonsense of uh, you know diversity training programs that are not about racial sensitivity. They're about demonizing white people now and the constitutional order of individual freedom, equality, and accountability that the American founders created. Dressing up a racial attack, you know, like this, and de- and demand for conformity as racial sensitivity toward minorities is perhaps, well, it's the only way such an anti-democratic uh, set of ideas could possibly be imposed on the American mind. But that, anyway, we're dealing with... <laughs> Real uh, bad stuff here. Bad thinking. What's the path forward? Because you, you've you've been a student of this, you've paid a lot of attention over the years, which is obvious in my conversation with you. You know, what's your, what's your hope for America? What's your hope for the future? I say righteousness is not dead. God has not left His chair. You know, I say it's uh, this is it's not it's not just going to church. It's not, uh, understanding that uh, we we're here for what 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 is a life worth what is a life we have to ask that question uh our lives are are given us an opportunity to grow to learn lessons to to grow strong to help to to look to other people what is the basic golden rule do unto others well all of that is missing now these are it's not do do unto others me has another meaning now. Do it to your you know the, your enemy. Do it do it to the masses. Do it. Let you know. It's this totalitarian thing that that the American founders put behind us, put behind the world. We were the you know the Declaration of Independence. Uh, you know these words in the Declaration of Independence changed three thousand years of tyranny. We brought forth government by the people, you know, in a very beautiful, very considered way. These instructions uh, that are in our Constitution are golden. And we changed the world, what we thought forever. But now we're being pulled back. So anyway, the answer is that uh, God is real and we have to be we have to be our better selves and we have to stand now for our children and the future children. And what's next for you? You've, you've you've accomplished a tremendous amount in your life. What do you want to do? What's next for you? Oh, well, (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 82 years old and, uh, I'm still very, uh, very active and, uh, you know, I'm in pretty good health and, uh, you know, and I still love acting. So I'll still do my work as an actor, you know, the, the best I can. I probably never get, you know, I never, somebody asked me if I would retire. I said, no, I don't think I'm going to retire as long as I can still play something, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be available. But uh, the, the idea for me is uh, I'm looking after this country the best I can. I feel so much my citizenship to this country. I'm so proud to be uh, an American patriot and to understand what was given to us and to find my, myself uh, allied with the, the great people of our history, uh, all those wonderful people who have been given memorials in, in, in D.C. 
They're, they're great, great people. All those words on the walls, I understand them. And uh, so I'll carry on the best I can to see if I can do everything I can uh, before I have to leave. Well, sir, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. You are an incredibly talented actor. You're a patriot. And hopefully now I can call you a friend. Um, it, it's been such an honor to have this conversation with you. And I, I so appreciate your time. It means the world to me. Great. Well, this is my pleasure to be with you. I didn't find this in this conversation as much as I'd like about you. <laughs> what would you like to ask before we go? <laughs> I'd really like to know what your parents were like, what you, what, what your siblings were like. How did you grow up? Because you, at a very early age, have got so much clarity and so much drive. It's wonderful. I so appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Uh, you know, I grew up, my, my parents are very religious. They're, they're Christians. They believe in God. So they taught us belief in God, taught us to, you know, to respect others, to be kind to others, to, you know, try to practice what you preach. I grew up, you know, similar to what you were talking about with your dad. You know, my, my parents have always been those people that, you know, no matter what you want to do in life, we support you. And there's even been times where, you know, I've left jobs, I took a gamble, you know, I left a, a great job to take a gamble on TV to see if I could, you know, get a contract and, and make it work. And I, you know, didn't really have a plan in place. It was sort of, uh, it, it, it was sort of something that just came up and it arised and I had to make a decision and my parents were fully supportive of it because they knew I loved television. They knew that was my dream. So I was very blessed like you to have parents that were just very supportive and, you know, were there, loved unconditionally, supportive no matter what always there to pick you up, and I, which is why I believe that family nucleus is everything in, in life. Uh, and I grew up with three brothers. So I had an older brother who, uh, you know, says that he made me tough, <laughs> you know, practicing, you know, wrestling moves and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, so I, I grew up in an environment where family is everything, you know, and, and especially I, I'm sure you feel this way, you know, working in, in Hollywood and, and working in acting, you know, look, media is a fickle beast, right? So it's, you know, things are going great today and, and I'm fortunate for that. And I've worked hard. I'm blessed to to have what I have for now, but it could go away tomorrow. And, and so if that happens, what are you left with? And what really matters in life? And, you know, it's friends, it's family, it's the people around you. It's the things that are so much more important than work or money or, or any of this other stuff. So I, I try to keep that in the back of my mind too, uh, in an industry that I know is so fickle, so up and down. Uh, and, and you never know where it's going to end up, you know, even a week from now. Well, you're doing very, very well. You're blessed to have great gifts, you know, so uh, and you're using them wisely. So I'm 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 excited about what's going to happen to you. Thank you, sir. OK, Elise. It's been an honor. You're the best. I appreciate your time. God bless. Bye bye, Don. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you loved it. New episodes of The Truth with Lisa Booth come out every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen and subscribe for free. Also, just wanted to say happy Father's Day to all the hardworking dads out there and happy Father's Day to my dad, Jeff. I love you so much. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.